Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and happy week one, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the week one breakdown between myself and Dwayne McFarland that was published on Wednesday. But now we have a very special edition of our 10 Questions Podcast. We bring on a guest each and every Thursday throughout the season. Because, you know, as much as I like to think, I know what's going on in the fantasy football industry. Always good to get some uh, brighter minds and come collide, see what we can pull out of our collective asses. So you have all probably heard the man I have on today he's been on this podcast at least three or four times i think more than any other guest probably because i fucking love this guy uh maybe we can cut out the f-bomb maybe not i'm excited i don't care none other than nbc sports edge fantasy football and nfl handicapper john daigle john i think that's the first time i just didn't even lead in with roto i'm trying to show you some respect maybe i just undid that by bringing it up but either way buddy week one's here how's it going even though rotoworld.com still redirects. But yes, NBCSportsEdge.com is the place to go. I have been on the show, as you said, four times, but never have been strung through the 10-question gauntlet. So I'm very excited. This is this is good times, man. I'm excited too. Like I didn't do a ton of guests this summer, and that was more just laziness for me. I sat here in my mom's basement a lot of the time, or you know, on vacation in Florida, and I was like, let's pull up the pull up the webcam. Uh, worry about me. Talk too fast for like 15 minutes, and uh, move on with my day. But I like can I test, by the way, vacation is good. Uh, it's no longer here, but when it happens, it's very very good. I, you say that from Vegas, like you're still not living the life uh, well, as a scout. There are main on. event drafts. I'm recording from a hotel room in Planet Hollywood where I can just stumble downstairs, thankfully, to the draft room that is happening Friday at 6.30. By the way, I'll tweet that link out for everyone to follow along to at that time at Not Jay Daigle. So uh, you can, you're more than welcome to make fun of me throughout that process. I love when like I'll have a, you know, draft or something at 9 or 10 p.m. and I'm at the counter like you know dr- drinking heavily and doing this and my girlfriend would be like Ian I thought you said you're working tonight it's like well I am but you know it's a football draft so like what 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 really is this when, definition <laughs> like you when I get ready to complain and there is a lot of complaining behind the scenes uh, I have to step back and remind myself that yes uh, we are having a great time we it is a great day to be great especially to help everyone as it's time now now's the time we win money like now is actionable week to week uh content analysis as opposed to the overarching stuff three months in advance that i've gotten so sick of this off season so let's hit this hard it is week one and we are actually ready to help people get an extra bottle of wine more a better dinner for their partner a night out it is ready to go I love it, John. I love the energy, and you said it best, man. Great day to be great. So let's kick things off. You are becoming the waiver wire guru, I think, of our industry, whether you like it or not. You've been doing the piece over at NBC Sports Edge for three years now. Is that right? Three years now, cool. and unfortunately, I think I'm tied to it. It's done so well. So I will never be able to walk away from it, even though it literally takes me all night Mondays. Yes. <laughs> yes, people. Seriously, check this out. I mean, I know the usual waiver wire column. Oh, here's my top 10 pickups of the week. And, you know, people do a fine job with that, too. But Dago is actually giving you fab recommendations. He's telling you which players you can probably cut from your bench. He's going out on a limb with the predictions that people want to know, but a lot of writers are too afraid to put down because they don't want it to be held against them. So, John, you had your early week zero waiver wire edition come out and you had a top five available which you defined as in 50 percent of yahoo league so before people bitch at us about these guys aren't available they are at least available in 50 percent of yahoo league so the top five rondale moore elijah moore tyson williams terrace marshall and giovanni bernard i want to talk to these wide receivers walk me through the process behind rondale ahead of eli and ahead of terrence 
I understand I am in the minority opinion on Rondell Moore. Uh, the initial knock is that he's small. And then once everyone realizes he's 5'7", their brains shut down because they can't see beyond that tiny frame. But the number four jersey he wears is actually just Avengers armor. He squatted 600 pounds at 174 and registered the nation's highest spark score for his sheer athleticism when he was initially recruited to Purdue. Arizona also led the league last year with 13 plays per game from 10 personnel, four wide receivers, uh, meaning more should be on the field all the time, no matter what, in both 11 with three wide receivers and 10 personnel like he was this preseason when he played 44 of 47 preseason snaps from the slot with nine targets and three carries. And this is laughable, I know, but a 1.3 yard depth of target. But even though it's comical, that last mark is actually important to note since that's exactly how he was used in college because 71% of his collegiate receiving yardage actually occurred after the catch. He's so explosive. So I'm putting him basically on the field at all time and the fastest offense, at least they were in pace last year. And I think it starts in week one against the Titans. I absolutely love him, which is why I ranked him so much higher because he's basically Debo Samuel, if not the rich man's version of Debo Samuel with a high rushing floor as well. Then you go to Elijah Moore. It helps that Jameson Crowder is perhaps out of the way in week one, but just the fact that as a exclusive slot receiver in college, a very productive one, but he still ran 97% of his routes from the slot. Even so in the preseason and training camp, they were using him out wide. He had that slot role all to himself. And we also were told he was competing with Keelan Cole for starting spot and 12 personnel, which tells us they already see he can do everything. He can literally be successful from anywhere on the field. And that's what we want from our players and the matchup, especially of Crowder's in out of the way and week one is so good. That's why I have Elijah Moore ranked second. Um, and again, everyone probably a lot more people probably have more over Rondell Moore. I get that. I still want Rondell over Elijah because I think that matchup against a weak Titan secondary and a faster offense and a better quarterback is that much more efficient. And then for Terrace Marshall, Remember, first round grade, the issue, and he only fell because he had the medical red flags, which he's now cleared from after finishing fourth and receiving yards in the preseason. The issue is he has roadblocks, though. He has DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, who just recently received that two-year, $29 million contract. But while we still stay high on Terrace Marshall despite that, is that if there's ever an opening, and he is starting from 11 11 personnel from the slot in week one, but if there's ever an opportunity beyond that, of course he's someone who can succeed no matter what. He ran 74% of his routes from the boundary in 2019, and remember, at that time, was nearly mirroring Justin Jefferson in receptions, 21 to 20, until he got injured. Again, Terrace Marshall kept up to speed with Justin Jefferson in 2019 until he got injured. That's how good he is. And then, of course, last year, they moved him to the slot for 73% of his routes, and he actually led LSU in receiving despite opting out after seven games. So that's why I have them ranked. Terrace Marshall actually may be more talented than both Rondell and Elijah. I just think there's too much in his way. So Rondell, Elijah, Terrace for me. Great points all around, Mr. Dago. I liked how you just worked in that Rondale Moore wearing the Avengers uh, armor comp there. He's a superhero. Thank you, Rondale, for changing your number from 85 to four. That was one of the ugliest things I have ever seen. And I just, I I brought up this comp throughout the offseason, but PFF's own Austin Gale, his comp for Rondale Moore, Julio Jones trapped in Cole Beasley's body. He can do it all, people, just because he's small doesn't mean he's not going to be great. Elijah Moore, yeah, man, missing training camp was the best case. That's why he is available in over 50% of the Yahoo leagues. Go get him before that buy low window slams shut. And John, like, I've been against the Sam Darnold breakout 
all off season. And I'm going to have a really rough September and October because the Panthers opening freaking stretch jets, saints, Texans, Cowboys, Eagles, Vikings, giants, and Falcons. Like not every single one of those is a complete cakewalk or anything, but man, if Teddy Bridgewater could enable three top 24 receivers while only throwing uh, 15 touchdowns, I don't see why Sam can't at least get pretty close to that three guys that are certainly better off on your rosters than that old waiver wire. Now moving on your article, you also had a high stakes top five, Sony, Michelle, Tyson Williams, Marquez Calloway, Boston, Scott, Tony Jones, obviously a little bit sharper than what we're seeing over at Yahoo. But what are we thinking with uh, really this Rams backfield right now? Cause a lot of people are just saying, Oh, Sonny Michelle's dust, but I don't know, man, if Sean McVay is willing to send two draft picks to get the guy, even if he is dust, he might be getting some touches. What do you make of Henderson versus Michelle this year? The difference in high stakes is also that they've been running since May and June. And so that's why guys like Marquez Calloway and Sonny Michelle are still on the waiver wire because there are a lot of leagues that just never would have thought to draft those guys unless they knew two months later, which they didn't, they would land in these positions. But for Sonny Michelle and Tyson Williams, because that's what it really, really comes down to if those two are available in those types of formats. For me, it's just the fact that if I told you that there was a chance to get the lead running back on the offense that has the easiest projected set of opposing rushing schedule that year, you would want to bid a high amount of fab on that player. And that's what Sony Michelle is because that's what the Rams are projected for this year. We also know that's the engine that pushes them. They have never been a pass heavy team. They utilize pre-snap motion and running the ball in order to open up their offense because they do it in such an intricate way. They don't, go between the tackles to run the ball. They know that's extremely inefficient. They do it in so many other options. And unlike Tyson Williams, the pass catching, the third down role is now vacated. We don't know if it's Daryl Henderson or Sony Michelle. And so I'm bidding on the hope that you also get that plus the leading runner since it's very clear I don't have this opinion, but it's very clear that Sean McVay hates Daryl Henderson. Um, he hates that he can't stay healthy. He hates that his first year, he lacked the vision, even though last year when he was given an opportunity, he was very good until he had that high ankle sprain. But overall, they brought him in to clearly at least be the 1B option, whereas that pass catching role I talked about arguably doesn't even exist in Baltimore, right? Like they have thrown to their running backs with the league's third and fourth fewest targets the past two years. That's why I think as much as I love Gus Edwards with J.K. Dobbins out the picture, Edwards' ceiling is still capped. That's why I think Tyson Williams' ceiling is still capped. And if he can't reach a ceiling, even though I love those players at tops 24, top 26 running backs, Sonny Michelle at least has that ceiling when he's available. Also, to your point, the last calendar year, Sonny Michelle's been good. Over five yards per carry on a very large sample last season. Over five yards per carry on a larger sample this preseason. I don't know what happened, but when he is healthy, I understand he has chronic knee and ankle issues. When he's healthy, he delivers now. That's the thing, man. Like 2019. Okay. I can't find a single good thing to say about Sonny Michelle from there, but it was such a shame when he got hurt last year. Cause he was actually starting to look like the guy that we fell in love with out of Georgia in the first place. And for those of you saying, Oh, get your yards per carry stat out of here, Daigle. Fine. Missed tackles force per rush. Henderson was at 0.16. Michelle was at 0.15. Henderson had a PFF rushing grade. That was 0.23 or 2.3 points higher. Excuse me. Yards after contact per attempt, which is I think one of the best stats for looking at it 
a single running back. Henderson, 2.7. Sony, 3.4. I'm not even trying to say that Sony is necessarily better than Henderson because of these, but it's at least an argument. And again, just don't write off a situation. If all you can say about a situation is this guy's going to get hurt, or this guy's dust, maybe just take a closer look at it because we might be missing out on some value all in on the Sony. It's been great to be able to grab him in some of these anchor zero RB builds. Hopefully, uh, you know, Sean McVay is willing to feature him and hopefully, more hopefully, those knees hold up. Now, you mentioned this before, Tyson Williams, seemingly everyone's long lost favorite RB at this moment. We got Le'Veon Bell on the practice squad. I also saw, intriguingly, Trenton Cannon got signed. So, Dago, I guess my first thought when Le'Veon got signed, I didn't like it just because when they mentioned Le'Veon Freeman, these guys that were working out, I wanted them to add like a special teams back so we could keep this committee at two with Le'Veon there. I mean, he's not going out there trying to block kicks. So if he's going to be active on game days, which he's not been elevated yet, we'll see to me, he's going to be active enough to play, you know, 15, 20% snaps. Not that you should buy Le'Veon. You wrote a brilliant article on this very matter. Uh, I'm just going to read the entire <laughs> article to all you guys. Should you roster uh, Le'Veon Bell? No, that's the entire article. And John, I think you nailed it. So good job by you. But basically, like, let's see what happens here. Because again, if it's Cannon, Edwards, and Tyson, that's great. That's a two-back committee for me. But if Bell comes in, all of a sudden, it's like a Marlon Mack-esque presence. It's not someone you want on your team, but he's at least lowering the ceiling for everyone involved. So I guess what's your feel on this situation? Because I think we're on the same page where you were saying, like, Gus, he has that cap ceiling. And that, I think, is the problem. You can see he's still a good low-end maybe even upside RB2 with or without Bell, but having Le'Veon there certainly doesn't help if he's going to be active. But remember that last year, this is the same organization that they would healthy scrap Mark Ingram for his ineffectiveness. They understand when running backs are just dust all of a sudden. And that is a guy who was such an important character in that locker room. Like they love, every locker room loves Mark Ingram. Have you ever had him on this pod, by the way? I wish, man. Does he do a lot of fan spots? Uh, I don't know. I, him, Jamal Williams are like consistently like the best characters in the entire NFL. I see some as, good Jamal interviews. He'd be a great oh, one yeah. too. He's, he's amazing. <laughs> but either way, uh, so to me, even when Le'Veon gets called up, if he gets called up, because they immediately signed Trenton Cannon, like you said, to the 53-man roster. And that is a day after they signed yeah. Le'Veon Bell and just stuck him on the practice squad because they know he's much more of a wild card. I genuinely think if he gets called up, he gets a couple carries, they see how ineffective he is because he lost it in Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, he was given the opportunity. Some people don't think he was. He was, and he just didn't deliver. He was very poor performer just last year, so much so that in Week 17, they healthy scratched him. They brought him out for a couple carries in the, wild, in the divisional round game, but again, healthy scratch from afterwards because he wasn't bringing anything to the table that's what i would think would happen with baltimore if he even makes it to the active roster which i yeah. genuinely doubt also the fact that uh that he i forgot my last point go ahead <laughs> no, I, I think like when I wrote my saying these questions last night, like I was more prepared to be like, he is a major problem, but that Trenton Cannon signing. And like you said, for them to immediately put him on the 53 and tell Le'Veon to wait, like that's very significant. And I, yeah, go ahead. I don't remember what it was and we don't have to splice this together. You can just leave it like it is. But the fact, some people also said like they brought him in to play third downs. But again, I mentioned the Ravens stats about not throwing to their running backs with yeah. Lamar Jackson. So like that role doesn't even exist. Like there's no role for Le'Veon Bell on this team. And that's why I genuinely still think it's very questionable if he makes it to the active roster. 
Yeah. And I did get healthy scratch last year. Before that, he came in and played between 18, 52% of the snaps in the first nine games. But it was like, he didn't look good running the ball, but he really didn't look good in the pass game. And that was the surprising part. If you go back to 2018, when he was, you know, looking for that big contract, like his agent's argument was that we have an RB one and someone that you can also line up out wide and more or less be like a wide receiver too. So he wanted to be paid half RB half wide receiver type last year. He had a career low 0.83 yards per out run career low PFF pass blocking grade of just 47. Like if Andy Reid can't get the most out of you and you're receiving running back, man, I, I can't sign up for that. So I was more prepared to think Le'Veon was going to be a bigger addition, but truly people, I didn't think Trenton Cannon would be influencing my uh, fantasy football <laughs> thoughts uh, this year. Here we are September 8th. And that is the case. Let's talk another highly sought after running back recently. Tony Jones, AKA Tojo is now the undisputed number two in new Orleans top five. What are your top five pure backup handcuffs in the RB? I'm going to define that as no one that we should expect to get 150, 150 plus touches without injuries. No AJ Dillon, no uh, Kareem hunt, none of those guys, but Daigle top five pure backup handcuffs go. So I brought to the table, both. I have the strictly based on talent top five. So this is not actionable. This is just hand in the dirt football talk with you. Okay. I think it, I think it is a Kareem hunt who, as we know, was released in the past for different reasons, but is one of the still one of the most explosive and elusive backs in the entire NFL. And then I believe it would be Tony Pollard, AJ Dillon, Chuba Hubbard, Alexander Madison. Hmm. What do you think about that? I think you're a little high on Chuba based on what I've seen so far out of him, but I think he'll definitely be in the top five, uh, fancy handcuffs one. The Pollard points are ridiculous. Like I it's, it's so weird when you pull up the yards after contact stat and he is literally like the force miss tackle stats and he's one, two, three with Nick Chubb and Derek Henry. I think Pollard is a little bit like the three point shooter who can shoot 50% on four attempts. If you gave him eight attempts, maybe he's not going to be quite as good, but either way, like it's impossible to criticize the guy for just making the most out of what's been happening. So I would probably put Madison ahead of Chuba, but otherwise that's a pretty good list. That's fair. And Pollard, by the way, we all know it's so funny because we all know he's the best back in Dallas. Uh, the <laughs> issue is that the Cowboys don't know that, which is why Zeke is our number three overall player, even though he probably will get stuffed in an island game on Thursday <laughs> night. And my mentions are going to burn to the ground. It's going to suck. But I'm fully aware of what could happen in that tough matchup. OK, but- hold on. Hold on. I'm running through the rest of these rosters. Just checking you real quick. I think Naeem Hines deserves a little bit of credit, but he's like a scat back. I wouldn't even yeah, blame he's you very for talented that. receiver. But James White is still like the better third down option Melvin Gordon <laughs> just kidding just kidding um, but I did bring also the actionable for the pro football yes. focus podcast with Ian Hart it's top five mm. and so that would be Chuba Hubbard who if CMC goes down whatever you think of his talent and I actually think he's very talented even though the athleticism would say otherwise but when he gets to the field as he showed in college just immensely explosive just gets it almost like Dalvin Cook Dalvin Cook's testing was very poor but when Dalvin Cook gets on the field he has the vision he just gets it you can't really quantify it um but he would get Hubbard Wood every single touch if CMC gets out of the way Alexander Madison whose stock as a direct backup rised after they cut Amir Abdullah because we've seen in the past his past two career starts for Dalvin Cook, he could have been game scripted off the field. Whereas now there's a chance he's not game scripted and he gets the pass catching role as well. So that made me value him much higher as a stash. And then for me, three would be Tony Jones right now because I don't think if Camaro went down, there's anyone else that they could offer those touches to. Uh, Maybe they sound like a Dwayne Washington or someone who's played in that playbook before. But overall, I think 
80% of the touches will go to Tony Jones. So whatever I think of his talent, it's just a matter of he would get that usage in my opinion. Four would be Damian Williams, who I still yeah. wonder if he gets the pass catching role from week one. My David David Montgomery averaged 28 routes per game from week four on without Tariq Cohen. And that's what allowed him to eventually leverage the situation and usage into an RB1 ceiling in those last five or six games he played. But Damian Williams, they kept around. No Tariq Cohen for what I still think could be the entire year after he sneakily went through another surgery and no one in the organization wanted to admit it. Just when asked the yes or no question, they said next question. They refused to talk about it, which means yes, he had another procedure done. So Damian Williams, I think is here to stay no matter what but if he gets a pass catching role like that means he perhaps has standalone value in negative game scripts while also being the direct backup to montgomery if something were to happen and then five would be rashad penny i want to put penny higher since it is still a run heavy offense we assume anyways with shane waldron but also alec collins and dj dallas have done enough good things in front of pete carroll that i think he would trust them working in behind penny if carson were ever injured as well so that's where i have them for top five fantasy Love it, Mr. Daigle. Chuba played 62 of 69, 90% people, first team snaps this preseason. Just looking at his profile, and it was one of those things where he didn't catch a lot of passes, like period, and a lot of them were behind the line. But a lot of times we just see college offenses not really ask their running backs to do that in the first place. Clearly the Panthers are cool with his pass down ability. We should be too. Great points on Madison. That Abdullah cut is absolutely huge because the one week where Madison burned everyone against the Falcons, like they just got down 20 points in the early third, and that's that's why Abdullah came in in week 17 when Dalvin was out and no one gave a shit about fantasy anymore. Madison ripped off an RB4 overall finish. So even if Abdullah was still there, like he'd still, I think, be on this list, but that does help a lot. And then Tony freaking Jones. We're going to continue uh, with this Saints storyline because, man, we got Marquez Calloway, Jawan Johnson, Tony Jones. Like Sean Payton is taking a new generation of absolute no-name guys and attempting to turn them into stars again. Leads me to the question, though, Diggle. Are we positive the Saints offense is going to be good? As much as I love Jameis for his entertainment factor, you know, it wasn't like that all, all the time he was in Tampa Bay. He was just leading one top, you know, 10 offense after another. Every group, aside from the last one, which, hey, got the third, kudos, was a top 12 or worse scoring offense. So overall thoughts on the Saints offense, specifically these new guys that we're expecting to, you know, more or less pick up where the rest of the guys have left off over the years. We are absolutely not positive. Uh, having said that, I do think Marcus Calloway's hashtag good at the game, 20 yards per catch on nine targets, who has quietly emerged as Jameis Winston's number one target, but also remember did so without Traquan Smith available throughout the preseason. Yeah. That's why if you read the waiver wire column in NBCSportsEdge.com, I have Traquan Smith listed in the rankings among wide receivers, and it's because – I know he's had an opportunity in the past, but he did so with Drew Brees, who has always had one of the lowest A dots in the entire league. Whereas now we get Jameis Winston. So it's an unknown situation, but very, far too often unknown situations get correlated as bad. Like what if Trey Smith is just better with a downfield attacking quarterback? That also is in his range of outcomes. So I'm also okay with just picking him up if you need like a wide receiver stash, hoping for a ceiling, because that's someone like Nico Collins as well, honestly, I know your boy, who uh, you could envision yourself spending five to 10 X more in fab in week two. Whereas you can get them for one or two bucks right now, all because all they have to do is still surprising, but surprise us and lead the team in target share. And suddenly everyone's bidding on them. So I still okay with that. My issue for the offense is that will Sean Payton actually feel comfortable and safe with Jameis Winston under center because last year with Drew Brees, the Saints ranked ninth in place per game, but without 
without him, Sean Payton took his foot off the gas and they ranked 22nd in place per game with any other quarterback. So is Sean Payton going to feel comfortable now that Breeze is under center and he's had a whole offseason to work in two other quarterbacks? I don't know. That's what I'm concerned about. Yeah, and, you know, I wrote an article before this uh, situation got settled about, like, who do we want to win between Jameis and Taysom? And I, it's, I like writing an article where it actually changes your opinion as you kind of go through the data. And this was one of those, because I was like, I hate Taysom Hill with every fiber in my body. I hate Taysom Hill, the fantasy player. I'm sure he's a perfectly fine real-life Mormon and all that. But going through this, like, Jameis, man, I was just surprised to see he hasn't been this fantasy god throughout his career in fantasy points per game, QB 19, QB 20, QB 18, QB 15 in 2019, when Bruce Arians said, throw your damn heart, like throw the ball downfield to your heart's delight, QB eight. So like, that was great. But Sean Payton like said this, I think it was uh, in one of the preseason games and the announcers were just talking about the situation. And Payton was like, I can guarantee you, Jameis will not hit that interception total. And he's not going to hit that because one, if he starts getting close, Taysom Hill is going in the game. Mm-hmm. And two, this isn't going to be the same just gunslinger, YOLO uh, DGAP offense I think we saw Jameson before so I was actually hoping for Taysom because I figured no Michael Thomas Kamara's gonna get his no matter what at this point and Taysom as we saw last year when he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off it is actually productive for fantasy because of his rushing workload so with Jameis we do have Callaway we do have Traquan we have those guys with uh, more of a chance to succeed I do just wonder if we're looking at you know a below average scoring offense and unfortunately those guys don't ball out maybe as much as some of the more hopeful uh, folks out there want to believe. And they could be still a below average scoring offense, but maybe also it's just a better Jameis. Maybe he's more mature because he did play much more efficient in the preseason this year. Maybe it's LASIK. Maybe it's the weight loss. It could be a lot of things. Like maybe he just finally hit his head to be a professional wherever he's at. And like, so maybe he's just better overall. Juan Johnson, we buying that at all? To an extent, but you don't need to, I wouldn't think, worry about it unless you're in much deeper leagues. Like a tight end premium where like if a tight end gets six targets, you're perhaps flexing him if all you have is like running backs who don't have a role just yet. That's kind of the only place I'm focusing on a minute. I think my takeaway and my wide receiver cornerback and tight end column was basically like, you know, sucks that Troutman is not going to be a thing after a lot of people, including myself, are really hopeful. Doesn't necessarily mean Jawan is going to be a thing. Let's revisit the uh, snaps and stuff after week one. All right, John. And most of that stuff was from, again, your excellent waiver wire article. I'll be sure to uh, retweet that on my old Twitter account, along with this podcast Thursday morning. Let's get serious now because you are quite the cocktail master. And, you know, we have shared quite a few over the years. And, you know, as someone that is usually just, you know, taking shots of whatever whiskey I can get my hand on, it's good to be around, uh, you know, more educated scholars like yourself when it comes to (laughs) the cocktail game. So I want your AJB wide receiver one cocktail, the go-to beast is going to be just as good today as it will be in 10 years and it's already awesome so what's your go-to yeah as you typically drink beer and proper 12 i'm the one usually forcing down other adventures <laughs> down your throat but uh my favorite drink leisurely is either a spicy mezcal mixture or just a regular old dirty martini they're amazing but the daigle special margarita oh. if you want me to bring a recipe to the table is two to one tequila to lime juice so let's say two shots of tequila whatever you want then one shot of lime juice uh, half an ounce of orange liqueur. It's usually Cointreau, but whatever else you have available, that's fine too. One to two drops. This is the secret sauce, by the way. One to two <laughs> drops of Trader Joe's habanero sauce. Oh! They make a very thin habanero sauce that actually isn't 
as spicy as you think, but literally one drop in each one brings out like the smokiness of the tequila, makes it very good. And then you top it with a splash of lime carbonated water. LaCroix usually, but whatever you have on hand, that's the margarita. You're really going to make me a Trader Joe's guy with this. Julie's been trying to drag me there for freaking years. I like Trader Joe's and they're like, if I want chicken or meat or whatever, that's fine. Would it kill them to give me my freaking Pringles and my Oreos and the snacks I've been addicted to for 28 years? They do only have multi-grain Doritos. Yes, <sighs> correct. That's my one B for Trader Joe's. If you guys can merge with like Walmart or something, I am all in. Probably not going to happen. Never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. soon. All right, Dago. I got to, you know. Twisted situation to ask you a pretty simple question, which is pretty much the story of my Twitter. Uh, you're walking alone in Stanford, Connecticut, and suddenly get kidnapped. Kidnapper says, you're going bye-bye unless you hang your hat on the correct QB having a bounce-back season with their new team. So basically, long story short, out of these quarterbacks on a new team, who would you bet your life on actually being good? Carson Wentz, Sam Darnold, Tyrod Taylor, Jared Goff, Jameis Winston, Teddy Bridgewater, or Andy Dalton. And just real quick, by the way, when I had to count these guys up, I was surprised to see how many just new quarterbacks we have switching teams. You know, once, or I guess I forgot Matthew Stafford in there, but he is uh, obviously out of the picture because we know he'll be good. So excluding Matthew Stafford, who you got out of these guys? And most of them have someone lurking over their shoulder early that's on. That's true. But you mentioned the schedule of Sam Donald earlier, and that's what sort of always brings us back to him. Not only that, but just the fact that Joe Brady helped engineer Teddy Bridgewater to throwing for a career high in passing yards against what was, in hindsight, the league's toughest passing schedule. Now we have a much easier schedule, a quarterback that will at least throw downfield. I don't know what the hell happens when Donald throws downfield without Adam Gase, but I would love to find out because – DJ Moore was being drafted in the fourth round, Robbie Anderson in the sixth and seventh, Terrace Marshall into the mid-twelfth, and even Dan Arnold was creeping into the final three rounds of high-stakes leagues, which tells us that if Sam Darnold's going in that range or undrafted altogether, something's off. Someone's wrong here, and I genuinely think it's because Sam Darnold isn't being valued properly in a post-Gase life, and that's why I've been betting on him everywhere. That's why I think he's still, for people who are psychos and haven't drafted yet, still have a draft to go on Friday, let's say, I still think he's the perfect Band-Aid to have with Trey Lance, who, as we know, 49ers have a week six bye, whereas the schedule you mentioned earlier, their first six games, like it's perfect. You could just start Darnold every single week and be comfortable about it as long as he just doesn't suck over overall and i'm not banking on that happening so i love darnold this year yeah i guess the one possible ray of light i see with darnold and originally i was thinking of it more as a negative but I have a soft spot for these off-script quarterbacks that usually can't work within the confines of an offense. Drew Locke, even like Jeff Driscoll, when we see him out there, he's not doing anything good, but when you watch him play, it's at least more entertaining than just someone that sucks from the pocket all game. And Darnold, in the preseason, had the second lowest average target depth out of any quarterback. Small sample size, but hey, what do we always talk about with those guys? Like, can they actually work from within a system and then conjoin that with the ability to, you know, get out of the pocket, make something happen when the play breaks down? Because Darnold, like his good plays, the dope throw he had against the 49ers last year, the Colts one, like we can, we can name his great plays on one hand, it seems like from last year. But either way, that comes when he's out of the pocket doing the playground ball. That's why he was actually decent at the end of his rookie year with uh, Robbie Anderson out there making plays. If he can have that, Combine that with Joe Brady's schematic genius and just get the ball out of his hands to all these playmakers. Hey, John, I guess it could happen at least for the first two months of the year. And I know we had a lot of discussions during our best ball streams this summer, which we are hoping to bring back next summer about you were worried 
that Sam Darnold just wasn't good at all. And you used to cite the fact that Joe Flacco was good when he got the opportunity. But I would just say the rebuttal is that Joe Flacco was not a quarterback who needed developing. 11 personnel chucking it downfield is what Joe Flacco was early in his career and what he's perfect to do as a veteran. He was actually pretty good last year because Adam Gase never altered the offense whatsoever for the defense. Imagine that. Imagine game planning to win. Never happened. 11 personnel, no pre-snap motion, chuck the ball downfield. That's not Darnold's game. Like Darnold can evade pass rushers and dump it off and manufacture plays with yards after the catch. And so I do have a lot of hope for him this year. Are you people laughing about John saying Flacco was actually pretty good last year? He, he was start, good. He started four games. He produced point totals of 27 and 28 and two of them in that atrocious offense that we have largely seen no one do a damn good thing in for the better part. Of because the they, past, ha- they uh, have receivers years. that like Rashad Perryman and uh, Denzel Mims yeah. that are good at literally just chasing balls downfield. Uh, now we have to tell the Jets this year and Robert Sala about Denzel Mims because he doesn't <laughs> he isn't aware of that clearly. But yeah. Uh, free Denzel Mims people one of these days. John, you're, you're a gambling man. Do you have a favorite week one bet that you've already locked in? And if you haven't, just what do you plan on locking in? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I have like five bets already. Okay. I thought in. so. <laughs> but, uh, but the one I feel comfortable giving out to people is Giants Broncos under 42. Not only do we have like the Broncos defense, which is a top three unit, honestly, like even offensive line, offensive skill players outside of quarterback, it's all top three. Then you get to the quarterback and it's a bit of a mess. But overall, the defense, even in having someone like Patrick Sertan who can match up with the archetype of Kenny Galladay. I think the pain is coming. Daniel Jones, of course, in 26 career starts, has 28 fumbles, three sacks per game, two picks, and has averaged six and a half yards per attempt in that span. Whereas you look at the other side of the ball, and though I do believe Teddy Bridgewater is a very efficient passer that will get the ball out of his hands cleanly, the fact is that Patrick Graham's defense is consistently overlooked. Uh, And he's overshadowed because Joe Judge is just a, a cartoon character uh, Graham's defense and the Giants defense allowed over 30 points just twice all last year and not once in a single game from week six on so they are a amazing unit that actually just got added with talent and athletic quarter for instance like a Dore Jackson in the offseason so for everything the Giants are doing completely wrong and they are doing everything wrong <laughs> on offense the defense always holds its weight and so that's why I think the Broncos win for sure but I genuinely think it's going to be 17 nothing just a, a 20 21 point game I think the easy top cornerback duo is Xavier Howard and Byron Jones out there in Miami. James Bradbury and Dory Jackson. I'm not saying they're cemented as two, but they are up there, people. Bradbury was already anyone's idea of a number one in his own right. And let's see how Dory looks when he doesn't have to, you know, chase Antonio Brown on an island for the entire game. Like that's the thing, man. Too many times these shadow cornerbacks. Last year, the Eagles, uh, you know, no, I'm sorry, the line. Yeah, okay, the Eagles. Eagles are playing the Seahawks, and they say, hey, Darius, you know, good luck guarding DK Metcalf. We're going to give you zero help the entire game and we'll see what happens and yeah he gets roasted but that doesn't mean Darius Slay sucks like 95% of other cornerbacks in the league aren't even good enough to have their coaching staff give them that responsibility in the first place so excited to see that about Adoree and yeah you said it about the Broncos defense man healthy versions of Von Miller Bradley Chubb they added Fuller in the offseason certainly Vic Fangio's best defense I think since he has left Chicago and you know open that 42 and a half and it's down to 41 and a half some might say that's a, a sharp bet by you, Mr. Daigle. Now, I know that I believe it's you and Denny doing the DFS building blocks on Fridays, right? 
it is Kyle Dvorak, uh, Denny committed before he realized he has to have the kids at that time. Oh. So he's he's going to drop in every now and then. But yes, it'll be myself and Kyle Dvorak Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. I met Denny for the first time in, uh, te- was it in Texas? Where the hell? Uh, was? Oh, uh, Canton. No, it was Canton. And I heard he was a celebrity because I wasn't able to make it. Yeah, I was almost starstruck and I was <laughs> way too drunk to be opening up the conversation. I was just like, great to meet you, man. I just had nothing else to say after that. So hopefully I redeem myself with Denny. Happy to see that you also, I mean, wow, Kyle's letting you podcast even after he pocketed that uh, 200K or whatever. He is still letting me host. Yes. And Kyle will be on for sure. <laughs> still letting you host a podcast that we created once upon a time, Mr. Dago. But okay. I want a small spoiler about your DFS research. Let's talk your favorite GPP stack on DraftKings. If one, you know, wanted to try to make a million bucks, take down the million maker. Uh, for starters, it is our baby. And a story quickly, for those that don't know, we just wanted to do a DFS show together. That's all that mattered. And uh, it actually got pitched to us, and we kind of ran with it until it got nixed. But the first idea was Ian and John's big adventure. We were going <laughs> we to wear safari hats and have a jungle background and talk about DFS, which, by the way, is still not the worst idea. <laughs> I'm in, man. Imagine, imagine we got to cut that. I don't want someone stealing that. Imagine someone tuning in stoned as hell watching that uh, as we're just reading off our notes anyways though for this week uh cardinals titans is going to gain all the exposure and rightfully so because we are down on both secondary i don't expect either to stop the other side but i don't even want to say it because i think it's going to gain steam and i don't want it to gain steam uh i will be on the bills steelers this week for starters Ooh. the steelers defense is a shadow of what most perceiving it to be last year's elite unit. TJ Watt practiced for the with this team for the first time in five weeks, just on Wednesday. So I expect him to start slow out the gates. They released Steven and Nelson and Mike Hilton, two of three starting corners from last year's nickel package. And of course, Bud Dupree signed with Tennessee. So they still don't have as nearly as much talent as they do from last year. And then what do you think happens when 32-year-old Joe Hayden try, is ditched on an island trying to cover Stephon Diggs? Ish. It's not going to go well. Uh, per established the runs, Pat Thorman in their first preseason game for the Bills, nine of the first 10 plays out the gates on that opening touchdown drive came shotgun, no huddle, and Allen's first 16 snaps and 26 passes of the 33 snaps he played in the first half they were all passing plays and so since we already know the bills ran the league's highest pass play rate or second highest pass play rate neutral game script last year and they brian dable already came out and said he wants to somehow pass even more i don't know what's going to happen but he said he wants to pass even more i expect them to just hit it hard hit it early whereas we can look to either Deontay Johnson, if you want to go that route, since he led in target share last year, of course, with Ben Rossberger and the 13 games he played. But also, Najee Harris is pretty safe in any game script. The fact that Anthony McFarlane landed on IR tells us they have only, and they cut Jalen Samuels, tells us they only have Harris and Benny Snell. And Snell, even with James Conner healthy last year, only averaged seven and a half routes per game. There is no way in hell they use him in the passing game. So Najee Harris's like floor, I'm not kidding, is potentially eight catches. And like that in a negative game script is just fine. Because even if the Steelers hang around, one, my, my Bills minus six and a half bet, another bet would be washed. But also like if we get explosion, like we get fireworks from both sides, that's great too. So there are so many different outcomes that can go well either way for Najee Harris in a Bills game stack. 
Yeah, Najee is priced on the main slate as the freaking RB14. I have him as the overall RB6, even including, you know, the night games and stuff. So great points all around there. Uh, don't fade any of these Pittsburgh receivers just because of Tredavious White. He did not follow any individual guy last year. Obviously, he's a great cornerback, but just usually with his shadow matchups, don't need to worry about it, especially in this case. And yeah, man, the crazy thing too is you can go Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, and while, you know, a lot of these other stacks, like I've, I, I like Seattle this week, but if I do that, I'm going Russ, Metcalf, and Lockett. Like, that's using a ton of salary for my stack. You can go Josh Diggs, and then Cole Beasley is only at 4,400. No one's going to want to play him because he won't get the vaccine. But if you just want to try to make some money, he might be a good guy for you to throw in the lineup. And Emmanuel Sanders is even cheaper. So it's like one of the softest. I mean, it was like when I was going through my uh, wide receiver ranks, I was like, all right, where do I want to put Beasley and Sanders? Because they're going to put up numbers if the Bills are going to throw the piss out of the ball like they seem like they're going to. And I think their uh, DraftKings sellers are more than affordable to get in. Particularly, man, like everyone's just going to be dumpster diving to 3K wide receiver range. Like that 4,000 might be the soft spot you want to actually attack. I, I completely agree. You nailed it. Uh, that's why I also, like, I don't mind digging around. That's why I like Rondell Moore this week as well, because as everyone dumpster dives for Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore is the same price. And if he's going to come in 10 to 15% less roster percentage, I would love to have him. Also, like, remember that even when we hear because we know the Najee Harris price is going to catch up to everyone and he's going to be rostered. Um, it's a bad price. So you play it no matter what. Yeah. And then you get contrarian elsewhere. That doesn't mean be stupid elsewhere. <laughs> that means like, okay, I'll, I can still play Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs at respectable roster numbers, but then also add in Sanders or Cole to your point. Uh, great throwaway line that I found like a random week 13 breakdown from our ex editor, Matthew Friedman, fantasy labs. Now mm -hmm. a member of, uh, oh my gosh. FTW FTN FTN my bad FTN uh, but Friedman said uh, being being a contrarian isn't a license to be a freaking moron which is a very good point you can be a contrarian don't be a freaking moron though people wise words from Matt F the Oracle Daigle you have made it to the end of the 10 question Colin, as you said. And also I just, at some point I just called these 10 questions with, because that seemed like a pretty easy title for me to send the producers. Usually it's like 15 questions or something like, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it just works out. One of those things. I see this YouTube uh, account I follow and they just say three minutes of this. And like the videos are six or seven minutes long every time. So I appreciate it. A little play on words from your boy there. But anyway, Cowboys Buccaneers Thursday night, first game, of the freaking season. You're a long suffering Cowboys fan. I am also a Cowboys Cowboys fan, although I think we both agree when you got to work day in, day out, we've certainly become much more, hey, go players, you know, not exactly mm -hmm. crying my eyes out every time the Cowboys have a rough game. Buckeyes, that's a different story. Cowboys, you know, it is what it is these days. I will say, though, you got lucky you're old enough to have experienced some of the Super Bowl glory. I have seen two playoff wins since I've considered myself a longtime football fan. What are we thinking for 2021? Give me your general thoughts on the Cowboys outlook and a score prediction for Thursday night. For the record, I wasn't of conscious, like of sports and Cowboys conscious at that time. I was a bigger basketball fan, even though okay. the Mavericks sucked. So for the Cowboys, actually, like I'm of the angry demographic like yourself that keeps harping and saying, wow, this team actually hasn't made it past the divisional round in 26 years. It's wild to think about, but it's actually true. They just haven't been a good team in that time. But for the Cowboys this week, uh, I am worried about the Zach Martin injury. It sucks that it's already come back to haunt them. 
I would like to see Dak Prescott play a football game since his injury, not a, not a preseason snaps or practice reps, a football game, especially since he struggled throughout camp with those injuries as well. And so I, unfortunately for week one, am down on the Cowboys, but I also think if you're drafting on Friday, like, and there are a lot of player people who do draft on Fridays and Saturdays after the first game, I think you could take advantage of the Cowboys dips, assuming everyone else comes out of that game healthy. That's yeah. really what we're looking for. And to see uniqueness and still the high passing play volume all last year when Prescott averaged 15 and a half attempts per game because their defense sucks so bad. Um, that's genuinely what we want again for their demons to burn to the ground while the <laughs> Cowboys have no choice but to pass the ball because that also helps you unlock Zeke's ceiling, another dipping player most likely, because in those five games, Zeke averaged a career high seven and a half targets per game. He was on route to unlocking that legendary running back ceiling that we chase because running backs when they hit are league winning players. So still very high, but for this game, it's a nightmare. Uh, I like Tom Brady over two and a half touchdowns as his prop. I like the Bucks to cover. Having said that, you can look at your offshore books because I think it's already been bet up to eight, whereas I got it at seven. Yeah. I wanted it before the hook to come with that seven. And then I also like the, um, yeah, that may be it actually. Oh, and the over. I like the over at 52 still as well. I like the over. Yeah, seven and a half, eight. I mean, I can just see Dak throwing that meaningless touchdown to Amari with like 30 seconds left just to cut yes. the deficit uh, to seven points. So it might not be the worst time to uh, buy a half point, depending on what your book is telling you. And that pressure, man, it's not going to be good. And I, I think, you know, we do need to remember it is like for Ezekiel Elliott, like you should not be benching this man under any circumstances. I don't care if his entire offensive line is out of the game. If he is getting 20 plus touches, we are playing the man. For Dak, though, that's like when I'm more willing to look at the pressure stuff and you guys can check out my mismatch manifesto on pff.com on thursday i combine pressure rates it's using 2020 numbers so it's not perfect in this case though we do have a lot of returning players on both uh, lines of scrimmages and dak prescott has the fifth highest combined pressure rate going to this one obviously without zach martin that's going to make matters far worse so hopefully dak 100 hopefully this is a good one I'm just happy football's back, John. We made it. Made it through the 10 questions, through the offseason, and we are here, and people can check out all of your work. Again, over at NBC Sports Edge, you're on Twitter at not Jay Daigle because at John underscore Daigle was taken. You tried to reach out to this person over the years. They, uh, you know, they're holding out. They're waiting for they you to get. Take, they did not take my privileged money. I did try to send it, though. I did offer something big. They're waiting. They got they got the long-term view in mind, waiting for you to just truly blow up, waiting for you to just become the man in the fantasy industry, and then you'll have to pay big time. But, John, I mentioned you know your waiver wire article. You got the DFS building blocks on uh, Friday. Everyone can check out a good football show. Yes, a good yes. football show. We are up to six episodes per week now because mm. uh, usually five in the regular season, but the sixth because the, the DFS building block show, again, Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern on Twitch and YouTube that you and I created and will be there. That'll be our legacy. It'll still be there whenever <laughs> we, whenever we're both out of there, perhaps if I'm gone at some point. Uh, the, you can check the podcast out now. It'll be in on Saturday morning in your feeds. It's becoming a podcast as well as a video stream, finally. So definitely subscribe and get all six episodes every week. John, we got Pat, Denny, uh, Kyle, another Pat. Wow, two Pats in one company. That's got to be confusing. In we, the got old name, we, we call them Roto Pat and Corrine behind the scenes. Okay? <laughs> 
yelling Pat doesn't work anymore. <laughs> but truly, people at not Jay Daigle. And if you, I mean, I'm assuming everyone follows at NBCS Edge FB, but the artist formerly known as Roto World is the best news source in the game. And, you know, as someone that came up doing news, I know firsthand how freaking annoying it can be and how time consuming it is. So credit to all you troopers for, you know, continuing to lead the industry in that facet of the game. Again, he is John Daigle. I am Ian Harditz. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in as always. And until next time, take care.